Welcome to the St Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Ian Beardsell and I'm privileged to be at the London Trauma Conference and delighted to have with me one of the UK's, if not the world's, leading lights in trauma care and pre-hospital emergency medicine. Gareth Davis has very kindly agreed to come and talk to us following a really interesting talk about impact brain apnea. Many of you will know Gareth as the Director of London's Air Ambulance, but also a consultant in emergency medicine and pre-hospital emergency medicine at the Royal London Hospital. Thanks very much for joining us, Gareth. I wondered if you could maybe just take our listeners through one or two of the main learning points you had from your lecture this morning. Well, the the lecture this morning is essentially about primary brain apnea or impact brain apnea, which is something I, I suppose many people have never heard of before, but actually has been around as a concept for quite a long time. And it's certainly something that's been haunting us for many years now, that we, we felt that treating patients at the scene, there was something that didn't add up. Why one patient could uh, cause a bullseye in a windscreen and do very badly, and another patient actually would be barely injured by it. And we couldn't quite understand it because we'd see the same crash on the same road and we couldn't work out what was causing this difference. And I think with time we and understanding human tolerance to injury, we began to work out what was happening and, and quite literally stumbled across the concept in the literature uh, some time ago um, and have been trying to understand it ever since. So I suppose the first point to, about the lecture is that this is a concept really exists. So we're always trying to make things as simple as we can at St Emily's. What we're really saying is that if you get a blow on the head, something happens in the brainstem that stops you from breathing. And actually that may be the major injury that the patient has. And if we can get them breathing again, yeah. they may recover. Yeah, uh, very simply put. It is that an impact to the brain does cause apnea. And unless we address that apnea and, and any airway problems associated with it, the patients do badly. But if we get on the case and sort out the patient's breathing, what on the outset might look like a severe injury actually can be quite mild. You were saying in your lecture that there's a frightening lack of research into this area. I guess it's hard to prove unless you've got that on-scene experience. Mm. And I'm presuming with your service and with your vast experience, you've seen this actually in patients by the roadside. Yes. I mean, even for clinicians that practice pre-hospital medicine, actually it's quite rare to see it because we don't get to the patients in the first minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes after the accident. Even with a dedicated dispatch policy like we have in London, we get there 12, 13, 14 minutes after. And of course, for, for many patients in apnea, that would be way too long. So actually, the only clinicians that really get to see this are the ones that stumble across it as part of their civilian life, so to speak, um, and those that partake in motorsport or other sports where patients get head injured, and they're the group that have seen it. So many people will often say, well, if we don't have the evidence, it doesn't exist. So yeah. how can you convince us that this actually is a real thing that exists? Yeah, it is very, it's very difficult because the vast majority of clinicians are never going to see it and have to believe in something. And more to the point, how are we ever going to demonstrate it because people aren't hit by cars with ICP bolts in their heads. So I think a lot of it is about understanding and interpreting the literature. The, the animal work is, is, is unanimous that apnea uh, exists as a part of 
head injury, it doesn't matter which animal, which model of head injury, what country, they all produce apnea. So I think the first part of that is understanding it. And the second one is taking good histories of bystanders. And also, I suppose the third one is is looking for echoes. I suppose it's a bit like the Higg boson thing, where you don't actually see the particle, you see an echo of it. And actually one of the echoes of impact brain apnea are the results of the catecholamine surge, and that's the cardiovascular collapse that people are seeing. And when people are faced with that cardiovascular collapse, they're duty-bound to explain it. We can look at some physiology. You went through some really interesting ideas in the lecture about the way in which apnea causes one physiological response, but actually brain injury causes another physiological response and how those combine together. Yes. Yeah, there, there, there are two elements to the impact brain apnea research. One of them is quite simply that the impact to the medulla of the brain produces apnea, which produces hypoxia and hypercarbia. But the other element of it is the huge catecholamine surge, which is, that's well demonstrated in, in humans and persists for many hours, if not days after head injury. But no, no one has ever really thought about that catecholamine surge in the first three or four minutes after an accident and its impact on a heart that may be hypoxic because of apnea. So it's those things coming together that are so deleterious for, uh, for patients. And we have to work on, on both elements of it. We're saying there that actually it's the heart that's struggling from the primary head injury. It's getting this physiological disturbance from acidosis and hypoxia, but then you add in a whole load of catecholamines and the yeah. heart just simply can't cope and may cause what we would then see as traumatic cardiac arrest. Yes, a traumatic cardiac arrest, or these are the patients that you see in your resource room that have had a head injury They don't appear to have blood in their chest or their belly or their pelvis, but they are persistently hypotensive. And terms like central shock have been appended to this sort of phenomenon. And I think because historically we have shied away from head injury causing hypotension, people have just let it rest. But I think most clinicians that are listening to this podcast will have seen a head injured patient that is unresponsive to fluids and just drips down into cardiac arrest in their resource room or goes up to the ITU on masses of inotropes that are failing to produce systolics beyond 60 or 70. And that's, uh, that's the echo of the, uh, of the, the events that happened on scene. And you were asked a really interesting question from the floor after your lecture today, where somebody pointed out that in traumatic cardiac arrest, we're throwing blood products into patients now and mm. concentrating on volume loading. Mm-hmm. But there is going to be this small cohort of patients, or maybe it's not as small as we think, mm. where actually their cardiac arrest is this centrally mediated system. Yeah. Are you still advocating that patients we see following trauma who are in cardiac arrest, we should treat aggressively with volume? How do you decide who gets those blood products and who doesn't? It's really difficult and it you've got to be very clear on your examination that the patient isn't hypervolemic or have a, a potential source for hypervolemia. And I think advice in the first instance is to presume hypervolemia. But there comes a point where you can't find any injuries and you're piling blood and blood products into a patient that actually you should probably stop and think of an alternative. So we have this potentially very straightforward disease with a very potentially straightforward solution which is opening somebody's airway and giving them ventilatory rescue breaths if you like in the old fashioned style have we made trauma a bit too technical do we need to bring it back to the beginning where we've got people responding quickly and early and doing the simple things well 
I think it's it's really important for diseases such as this that you know the, the education of the public is correct that people can address A and B and C and also there is a responsibility on ambulance services they need to be sure of what type of patient they're dealing with and give the right instructions there is a trend not just in the UK but all over the world for pre-arrival instructions for collapse cardiac arrest to negate A and B and concentrate on C. But unfortunately for this group of patients, and we don't know how big the group is, actually going back to A and B is the lifesaver. So for these traumatic injuries, our key is always going to be an airway and breathing. Yeah. And actually in traumatic cardiac arrest, that may be our most important intervention. We've got these, this thought of this new, new disease, really, that we're all not that familiar with. There isn't much to read about. Hmm. How can we go about... I suppose podcast is one way of educating the public and our colleagues that these things exist. And actually, is there anything we can do about it apart from having a trained responder on every street corner and every motorway? Well, I think that it is important that medicine and we as a group try and understand it and spread the word to our colleagues in the, in the hospital. Is there anything that we can do about it? Well, yes, there are. Uh, there's a move uh, here in London and in other cities around the world for apps such as the Good Sam app, which is about bringing people together who have the ability to deal with an airway, deal with some breathing and some circulation problems. And actually the future might be about how those apps can help these patients long before the statutory ambulance service get there. And we featured the Good Sam app on St Emlyn's before, but I know you've been involved with that. Yeah. I think many people will think that's all about primary cardiac arrest, but I understand that it actually came from this idea of getting there and getting an airway and ventilation for this impact brain apnea. The, uh, the inspiration, or one of the inspirations for that was a bottle of wine and uh, amusing over all of these patients about how could something be done differently to, to treat this group of patients. And, and yes, it, 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 it wasn't born out of the cardiac group of patients. The, the inspiration behind it, believe it or not, was the, the primary brain apnea. Gareth, that's a really good fly through your lecture for those people who weren't lucky enough to hear it in person. Are there any particular take-home points that you'd like listeners to remember when thinking about impact brain apnea? Well, I think what I'd like people to remember is to try and believe in the concept and actually think about it and do some reading around it. The second thing is that there are two elements, if you do identify it, that there is the airway problem and the breathing problem and then there is this circulating problem. And I think if you can, A, go looking for it, and B, think, recognise those two issues, we might go some way to uh, helping a lot of these patients. Gareth, thank you so much for joining us on the St Emlyn's podcast here from the London Trauma Conference. As you can hear, probably on the podcast, it's uh, lunchtime here, so I'll let Gareth go off and uh, raid the sandwich table and just say thank you again, not just for this, but also for setting up this conference itself and for everything he's done for leading trauma care in the UK. Thanks, Gareth. It's been a pleasure having you on. Cheers, Ian. Appreciate it.